Our study we're calling Lollagagging Through Luke. <laughs> it's, uh, it's, it's exciting though, because we only have a, you know, just a few more pages and we'll have been through the Bible twice as we started back in 1996 uh, in the Gospel of John and then just kind of proceeded from there and went through two, two times uh, now. This is great. So uh, we're about to approach our third lap, which is kind of fun. Luke chapter 17, a poem written in the late 1800s by Amos R. Wells. I'll read just part of it. He said, I supposed I knew my Bible, reading piecemeal, hit and miss. Now a bit of John or Matthew, now a snatch of Genesis. Certain chapters of Isaiah, certain Psalms, the 23rd. The 12th of Romans, the first of Proverbs, yes, I thought I knew the word. But I found that thorough reading was a different thing to do. And the way was unfamiliar when I read the Bible through. You who like to play at Bible, dip and dabble here and there, just before you kneel a weary and yawn through a hundred prayer. You who treat the crown of writings as you treat no other book, just a paragraph disjointed, a crude, impatient look. Try a worthier procedure. Try a broad and steady view. You will kneel in very rapture when you read the Bible through. <laughs> I like that, through the Bible. Uh, what a great thing to do. What a concept to read the Bible through and through, verse by verse, chapter by chapter, book by book is the way we, we put it here at Athey. But we love uh, covering each scripture and, and especially the ones that maybe uh, we would have a tendency to avoid or perhaps um, you know, leave off to the side and kind of say, we'll leave that for just other personal reading or whatever. But it's been really, really healthy, I think, for us uh, to go verse by verse through the Bible. Uh, how did Paul the Apostle put it there in Acts 20 when he was talking to the elders at the church of Ephesus and in Acts 20, 27, he says, for I have not shunned to declare unto you the whole counsel of God. You know, all of the things that are needful and important. So <clears throat> it's important for us not to skip over anything and uh, even the, what might be considered the problem passages and stuff like that. We, uh, we love those things and we love just covering the scripture. So we're uh, picking up where we left off. Jesus has been in kind of a long conversation uh, in the last several chapters. Um, and we saw the love of money being the root of all evil and how the danger of rich, riches and wealth, how it can be a problem. We even saw that on Sunday as we back, backed up a little bit. Uh, if you were uh, here last Wednesday night, but you missed Sunday, we kind of rewound just a little to cover some of that Luke 16 a little more in depth. And we covered the topic of hell. And uh, where do you go uh, when you die? Uh, that's kind of an important topic. If you're wondering that question, uh, I'd recommend last weekend's teachings on uh, where do you go when you die? That's what we called it, I think. Um, but what is esteemed among men is an abomination of the Lord. That's one of the things Jesus said uh, last chapter. And the Pharisees sort of scoff and turn their noses up. And that's where we pick it up here in chapter 17, uh, verse one. It says, then said he unto the disciples, it is impossible, but that the offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. It were better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he cast into the sea than that he should offend one of these little ones. The idea of stumbling someone or particularly the little ones, young children and what have you, 
this is what he's talking about. Um, boy, I, I think this plays into today's culture perhaps maybe more than any other time in history. That's a bold statement. But I believe the offense of children is one of the greatest evils of today, of modern day, um, the agenda to you know, lure children um, away from purity and, and goodness and, and uh, you know, the, the sexual um, uh, grotesque stuff that they're trying to present to children uh, in preschool and kindergarten. Uh, you can't watch Blue's Clues without a gay parade, a pride parade. Um, you, you know, you can't get a box of Kellogg's uh, cereal uh, because, you know, they want to make sure that they've gotten their, uh, you know, diversity, equity, and inclusion marks and what have you. Uh, New York Post article, uh, this is a while back, uh, Target, uh, big shock, Target gave $2.1 to LGBT group that urges schools to hide kids' gender transition from parents. Um, you know, they, they just kind of continued to, to do those things. The retail giant, which has uh, been the subject of widespread spread boycott, calls the, uh, in the wake of protests over its, quote, pride collection, has partnered with the uh, GLSEN, GLSEN. Isn't it funny, all the little names they come up with and acronyms? GLSEN, uh, Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network is what it's called. A teacher group founded in 1990 with the aim of creating affirming learning environments for LGBTQ youth. Um, uh, what do you think the Lord's heart is toward those that offend um, the little ones? Well, the Bible tells us right here, it'd be better for that person to have a millstone tied around their neck and thrown into the sea. I think people should take a second look at perhaps the, um, you know, the, the, the problem that we're cranking this stuff out and it's just, it's just at a rampant rate where I, I think most people don't even think about it anymore, uh, the offense to children. The word offend here, uh, or you know, it is impossible, but offenses will come. But the idea is woe unto him who the, through the offense come, you know, where it comes from. The, you know, that's kind of the idea. The word to offend here is a word you're familiar with if you've been with us in our study. The Greek word is skandalizo where we get our word scandalized, one of those Greek definitions to put a stumbling block or an impediment in the way uh, upon which a mother, uh, another person may trip or fall. That's the idea of scandalizo, uh, putting a tripping stone in front of someone. And you know, we're, we're as a culture tripping children up with the LGBTQ stuff, but on and on it goes. Um, we could talk about you know, just general sin, uh, what programming we, screen time, you know, what we're putting in front of our kids. We could talk about all kinds of, you know, things that we do as parents that are gonna put a stumbling block in front of our own children. Have you ever wondered, what are the things that I, I do that makes my kids stumble? Um, I hope you're as a, a parent cognizant of that. As, a, as an old dude now, and my parents were, my, my parents were a great example to me, um, and I thought, oh, I'll just do like that for my, my children. But, but I'll tell you, it's harder than it looks. My parents made it look easy. Uh, but Debbie and I realized, you know, here's what you'll see, you young parents, and you got the little preschoolers, your, your kids will mimic you. They will do what you do. Um, but here's the problem. They're better at copying your bad attributes than they are at copying your good attributes. <laughs> they can be. If you're not careful, 
uh, you'll say, hey, I, you know, knock that off. And then you'll realize, oh, that's exactly the way I said that or do that or, you know, whatever. It's, it's, it's really like looking in a mirror sometimes when you see your kids. Um, but be careful, mom and dad. You might be the one putting a stumbling block in front of your own kids if you're not careful. So we can talk about Target and the gay and lesbian groups and all the you know, crazy stuff, the education system, colleges and universities and high schools. I, I, I worry about so many of these um, teachers that are evil, uh, have an evil agenda. There's a lot of good teachers out there and there's good professors, of course, but, um, but the ones I'm concerned about are the ones that are gonna have a millstone it'd, or it'd be better to have a millstone tied around their neck. Um, that's what that's what Jesus is talking about. When when we, I always like to show this little sni- snippet from Capernaum, because they uh, when they dug this archaeological dig of this city up by the Sea of Galilee in in uh, Israel, um, this is Caper- Capernaum. I've shown you videos of this before. That's the synagogue where Jesus uh, healed the man with the withered hand right there, and, and it's just really cool dig. But one of the things about this um, big uh, discovery is they found hundreds and hundreds of millstones, like grinding mills. You see just them laying everywhere. These are different versions of millstones and grinding stones. And, um, and at first they thought, man, these people must have eaten a lot of bread. Uh, they were really into their grain and stuff. But then they realized that Capernaum actually was a millstone factory. That's where they made the millstones for the whole country of Israel. Um, uh, this one here is kind of the, the main uh, one that they would make that's kind of the bigger one. Uh, they'd stick a, a wooden pole through there and fasten it to the center of that circumference. And then they, you know, a couple ladies would push on the pole and go round and round in circles. And then that stone would crush the grain and make it into more of a flower. But if you could, uh, you know, that, that stone there, you know, 200 and something pounds, uh, you know, uh, they're not light. Uh, I've, I've picked one up. Uh, but, um, but, you know, can you imagine tying that around your neck? Jesus, you know, don't you wonder if there was a millstone standing nearby when Jesus said this? Uh, it'd be better for you to have one of these millstones and maybe pointing to something like that, have that tied around your neck and thrown into the sea than for you to offend, especially offending one of these little ones. Um, so this is, this is, I mean, this is a heavy word. I mean, Jesus, the most loving man that ever walked the planet said that. It'd be better for you to have one of these tied around your neck than to offend a little one. Um, so, you know, uh, I, I do concern, you know, those that think they know what's good for children, they might have to reconsider what's good for them in their future. Uh, you know, Romans 1.22 says, men will profess themselves to be wise, but they've become fools. And foolish and darkened hearts, that's what we see so much of in our culture today. Um, and, and it's a large sweeping you know, um, statements said unchallenged in the schools and, and uh, as authorities are saying this and that on TV and what have you. But, but, um, but really, they're just full of nonsense. Uh, I, I just remember you know, hearing so many crazy things. I, I went to a, a computer programming class in college and, uh, you know, I don't remember learning one thing about computers in that class. And the reason why is this university professor, uh, computer programming, spent the whole time talking about why drugs should be legalized in the state of Oregon. I spent a whole term listening to this kind of hippie computer guy talking about legalization of drugs. And he just went on and on. He was actually pretty eloquent. I mean, he almost convinced me uh, as a conservative Christian kid, you know, in college, I was like, well, maybe that's a good idea to legalize drugs. Well, 
Um, I, I left thinking, well, no, that, that can't be a good idea. Um, uh, I thought that's just stupid. But anyway, that, I was only 18 or whatever at the time. But, um, but now I look back on that and think, wow, what a waste of a term because not only was that wrong, but it's destroyed Oregon. Oregon's the joke of the world now. I showed at the Prophecy Update on Friday night how the London, there an article came out about Portland, Oregon, and it was all about the disastrous legalization of drugs uh, and how uh, Oregon is the worst drug city in America. Uh, uh, and, and, you know, it's kind of heartbreaking to see, you know, some guy was trying to proselytize his uh, computer programming class. Um, you know, I wonder how many of those students uh, became lawmakers in Oregon, you know, and were part of the, the, the crew that made that happen. Uh, but be that as it may, um, you know, young men and women go off to school and college and stuff like that. Uh, even those that seemingly have a firm foundation and they come back shaken, brainwashed with, you know, um, a, a, a wacko worldview. And it's, 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 it's happening at, you know, just huge levels that we're not, we're not even uh, seem to care about. Um, be careful, mom and dad. Oh, my kids go to a Christian school, Christian, Christian school, Christian college, or Christian high school. Um, just be careful. There's still a lot of people uh, in various places. You can't just assume because they're off at a Christian college that they're getting that, you know, God's word is the inerrant, inspired, perfect word of God. Uh, a lot of the so-called Christian universities do not teach that. And so they teach things like, oh, the Bible, you know, you can't really take it that serious. It's full of contradictions and blah, blah, blah. And uh, your kids are getting that. And then they're thinking, well, mom and dad were well-meaning, but they were just a little misguided. So was Pastor Brett. And they come out of, out of their college and university thinking they know more because some, some pipe-puffing, cardigan, sweater-wearing professor, professing himself wise, has become as a fool. Um, and uh, we gotta be really aware of that. So be careful. Um, the Bible's right. Uh, we are wrong. Uh, don't judge the Bible. Let the Bible judge you. That's the way we approach this. Um, by the way, in verse 17, chapter 17, verse one, you know, where it says in the red, you know, it is impossible, but that the offenses will come, but woe unto him through whom they come. I, uh, it's a kind of a mouthful in the King James. I like the way the ESV puts this one. Um, it says, and he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe unto the one through whom they come. If there's a person that is the tempter making little ones sin, woe unto them. And when the, you know, we've done whole studies on what it means when Jesus says, woe unto someone. That's not a good day for someone if, there's, if Jesus is saying, woe unto you. So, you know, there's so many polls on our young people, um, influencers on social media, video games, influence, influence, influence. And um, it's just repeat, repeat, repeat. You know, that's the thing about video games and stuff like that. There's just this massive repetition um, that's like no other. There's nothing as repetition, uh, repetitious as some of the things that the kids are seeing on social media and getting from all these media outlets and what have you. Um, and it's not just young people, by the way, it's old people too that are being influenced. Jesus just puts an emphasis on, you mess with one of these little ones, you're toast. That's what the Lord is saying in um, modern day vernacular. Uh, celebrity influencers and what have you. Um, you know, I remember uh, sport athletes, even athletes. I remember when Charles Barkley, does anybody remember? When Char you know, everybody loves Charles Barkley, right? But do you remember when he was in basketball and he was playing, uh, he, he fell uh, off the court and fell into this cameraman and turned around and kicked him in the groin. Uh, if you remember that, it was a big deal. And, you know, everybody's like, whoa. And they said, you know, the one, one person uh, interviewed him after the game and said, uh, you know, shouldn't you be a little more concerned about your example to like young athletes and young people? And he says, 
I'm not an example, I'm a basketball player. That's what he said. Um, now, here's the problem with that. Um, there's a lot of people that have that attitude. You know who else had that attitude was um, uh, Cain, the guy who killed Abel. Am I my brother's keeper? No, you know, you're not, you know I, I don't have to worry about that. Uh, but the Lord wants us to care about other people. We shouldn't have the attitude that, you know, do as I say, not as I do. My actions shouldn't matter to you. You're your own person. We're supposed to be concerned about our effect we have on people and our influence uh, and what have you. So, um, you know, this is, this is a kind of an important deal. Um, I remember when I was a children's pastor being extremely aware of all the little eyes watching, you know, Pastor Brett, the children's pastor, you know, and, and uh, you know, it was, it was scary because things I said and, and things I did, the kids would mimic. And I thought, oh man, I remember feeling kind of the gravity of that, you know, and it was, it was uh, you know, I'd be in a, a store, a grocery store, and uh, I'd be looking, you know, in the aisles and some little kid, Pastor Brett, you know, uh, and the little kids would run up and, uh, you know, once in a while you'd get like a dad who probably didn't go to church, but the mom did. And some little kid would come up and run up and, you know, say, hey, you know, Brett, you know, and, and the dad's probably like, who is this guy, you know, that my kid knows, you know, and, um, but, but, you know, uh, it's funny, you, you gotta, you gotta realize there were little eyes watching me all the time, what I was doing, where I was going. I felt that was kind of a healthy pressure to, to kind of co constantly be cognizant of the things that I was doing, saying, that the little eyes were watching. And um, I, I loved that. I also loved that as a pastor, you know, when you're a pastor of a church. You know, I've, I've, I've noticed like people will come to me in the grocery store and they'll look what's in my shopping cart. What, what's Pastor Brent? <laughs> you know, it's like, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's just kind of weird, but um, I'm sure none of you would do that, but it's happened. Um, what are you purchasing, uh, purchasing here? Um, now, uh, with that said, I think we should all sort of have that cognizance of, of people watching us and, and uh, lest we offend somebody and do something that might mislead or uh, hurt someone, uh, you know, or, or what, what have you. Don't forget what 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 22 declares. It says, abstain from all appearance of evil. Um, what if it's not evil and it just appears to be evil? Um, it says, abstain from that. Uh, some people probably think I'm legalistic about this, but, um, you know, if I were to go to, you know, some restaurant and order an iced tea and once in a while, some of these restaurants, you know, they go a little crazy with the iced tea glass and put an umbrella and, you know, something in there. And, uh, you know, frankly, there's enough alcoholics in AC Creek here, the people that struggle with alcohol and, uh, and I don't want to be the guy that stumbles them. So for me, I'm not saying you have to do this. You can, you can buy the, you know, uh, alcohol if you want to. Uh, but for me, not out of legalism, but out of love, I'm just going to say, I'm not going to, I don't want to stumble someone who might think, well, is Pastor Brett having a martini over there? Uh, and so some people say that's legalism. No, I'm totally free to not have an umbrella in my drink. I think it's stupid anyway. It gets in the way uh, of drinking your iced tea. Um, so, um, so anyway, uh, you know, you never know who's watching and what have you. I, I, I think it's freeing to, to not uh, uh, allow those stumbling blocks to be put in, in front of somebody. Alcohol is a big one where, you know, maybe you don't struggle with alcohol, but does your brother um, or does your uh, sister in Christ, uh, do, do your, are your kids going to struggle with alcohol? If you have a bunch of alcohol in the fridge, like um, be, be aware of, of uh, you might be able to not drink uh, to drunkenness. Like the Bible says, drunkenness is where it becomes a sin. If you become drunk or, or tipsy, uh, that's when it's called sin in the Bible. Um, but uh, I just think it's so freeing personally to just say, 
yeah, just, just to make sure I don't stumble one of these little ones. You know, there, there's never been a beer in our fridge. I'm not saying that sanctimoniously. I'm just saying uh, that was never a temptation for my kids, um, you know, in my household to uh, swig one of dad's beers down or something like that. Um, but I hear stories all the time as a pastor of parents who say, man, if I had to do it over again, I probably wouldn't have done all that when they were little. Uh, and that's, that's just kind of the truth of the matter. So um, just to be super aware and say, Lord, make sure that I, I never would cause someone to stumble, stumble and let your heart be convicted by the Lord. If, if there's something you're saying, I can do this and I'm okay, maybe, but are you stumbling someone else in that? That's, that's kind of maybe something to think about. Well, um, uh, we could go on and on about that one, but um, setting an example, that's kind of an important thing. Well, verse three, Jesus goes on and says, take heed to yourselves. If thy brother trespass against thee, rebuke him. And if he repent, forgive him. Um, I, I like the simplicity of this. Uh, you know, if somebody sins against you or, you know, um, does something against you, you're to rebuke him. The word rebuke is interesting. It just, it means to correct, uh, to, to give a word of correction. Um, but I, I also think that people love this. I'm going to rebuke you. I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. Like you think that's something you can do as sort of like a, you know, I'm going to really get you as a brother in grass. I'm going to rebuke you. Well, um, I, I think that the Bible does talk about correcting and rebuke. But it's also, the, the, it's supposed to be done, I believe, with a spirit of meekness. And that's hard sometimes when you're rebuking someone. I'm reminded of Galatians 6.1, where it says, brethren, if a man be overtaken of fault, you which are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of meekness, considering yourself, lest thy, uh, thyself, lest thou also be tempted. In other words, when you're, uh, you, know, you know, communicating a corrective word, it should be done with a spirit of meekness because you know you might fail too someday, maybe in that same area, who knows? <clears throat> so the idea is to, uh, to do it with, with meekness. Jesus um, was, uh, when he would correct, he would rebuke, but sometimes it was a little fiery. So I'm not arguing that it was never to be fiery or strong. Jesus rebuked these religious leaders pretty, pretty we've seen that in the past few weeks even, uh, Jesus rebuking. So it's, it's part of our, what we're called to do, but don't forget love is the key. Uh, you'll, you'll know my, you're my disciples, not by your ability to rebuke one another. You'll know you're my disciples by your love one for another. But one thing that our, our culture needs to remember is love sometimes includes rebuke. If you love someone, you might end up re rebuking someone that you love. Uh, that's kind of an important part of the whole thing. So uh, now this is, that, that might be the easy part. Here's the harder part. Uh, and some of you are going to not like this, but I don't care. Jesus said it. <laughs> it says in verse four, if he, that person, uh, notice it's a he there. If he trespass against thee seven times in a day and seven times in a day, turn again to thee saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Oh, that's a hard one right there. Um, because, you know, here's, here's what we do. I, you know, we play the old game. Is he really, I don't think he's really repentant, so I'm not gonna forgive him. I'll wait for him to be truly repentant. Um, but seven times, I could even say, well, if it was seven times in a lifetime, maybe you'd say, well, okay, I'm just gonna forgive him, even though, uh, he, you know, three years ago, he did this very same thing. But Jesus, he, he, I love how Jesus sometimes puts things in the extreme because it takes away any argument you might have about this. Um, this is something I think Jesus is being very emphatic about. 
um, because of, he, he takes away all. It'd be like, let's say I come over to your house and, oh, Pastor Brett, come in. And, and, and you know, you're, you're one of those people that have the nice white carpet uh, and it's beautiful, your, your home in, in Lake Oswego. Uh, and and, and, and I, I come in with my Pastor Brett boots on with mud all over them. Just, I just went up, like walked in the mud and then I came to your house and just tramps through your house and, and I leave huge, big boot prints on your white carpet. You'd say, uh, well, he is the pastor. Well, I guess we're gonna have to call, you know, Stanley Steamer after this and uh, whatever. But, uh, and I'm like, oh man, I'm really sorry. Sorry, I got mud on your carpet. And then uh, I leave. Half hour later, I come back, having just freshly tramped through a fresh batch of mud. And I come walking through and get mud all over carpet a second time. And then I say, oh, I'm really sorry. I got your carpet muddy again. Um, and, and I say, I'm really sorry. Uh, now you'd be tempted to say, well, Brad, I don't think you've really repented of your previous sin. You've done this twice in one day. Jesus says seven times. I come into your house seven times, trudging mud through your house. Seven times. Um, and I say, I'm sorry. Now, now your, your temptation would say, Brett's not really repentant. I don't sense a repentant spirit within him. You can say it however you want. See, here's the problem is, um, and I've said this a million times, but one thing the Bible has proven, there's stories I can prove you, you know, who knows what real repentance looks like? And you might be tempted to say real repentance looks like stopping you know, stop doing what you are saying you're gonna do. Now, now, if you're the one that needs to repent, I would say that's true. From your perspective, true repentance, you better check yourself if you're not, you know, changing your behavior. That, that may not be true repentance from your perspective. But, but Jesus is not talking about that perspective. He's talking about the one who's been offended. And if that person offends you seven times in one day, um, Jesus says, almost like one of the Ten Commandments. Does this almost sound like a Ten Commandment? It says, if he does it seven times again, you know, in, in a day, and then seven times he turns to thee, saying, I repent, thou shalt forgive him. Jesus didn't stutter on this one. This is a clear command of Jesus Christ. I, I just find this kind of almost laughable because I, I would look for ways out of this in any way I could, but I can't linguistically in the Greek, look in the original language, there's gotta be something we're missing here. Um, nope, <laughs> it's exactly what Jesus said. So the idea I think here is to be massively good at forgiveness. Um, that's what the Lord would have you to be, really good at forgiveness. Um, not so good at keeping record of wrong, but instead being, being someone who's just quick to forgive. That's one of the things we saw last week in the prodigal son story. Was that last week or two weeks ago? Um, we saw in the prodigal son story that the, the father is pictured as being only in a hurry in, in one time in the whole Bible, and that's to be merciful and forgiving to the prodigal son who was a jerk. The prodigal son was a total jerk. Um, but, but the Lord said, um, I, I'm gonna picture the story of the son coming back and the father's gonna run out and forgive him and kiss him on the neck and robe him, remember, robe of righteousness. Um, it's a beautiful story of quick forgiveness. And, and so, you know, you might be tempted to say, I'll forgive you if I start seeing a track record of you doing good things for, you know, for a time and then I might forgive you. Um, by the way, this is one that's really gets ugly in marriage. In the marriage relationship, when you're keeping records of wrong and, and you're saying, well, I'll forgive you if I you know, see you, you know, to start doing this or you know, stop doing the other, 
um, the, the Bible actually teaches us kind of different. Um, what if they keep doing the same thing? Um, and I know that sometimes we're tempted to say, I feel like I'm being stupid here by forgiving this person. Um, you know, it's not stupid, and here's why. We can say, Lord, I'm gonna leave this up to you. I feel like I'm being sort of jerked around here. You can say that to the Lord. Lord, I feel like I'm being taken advantage of. But you know the heart of this person, and you know what they're doing, and I'm gonna leave that. Vengeance is mine, saith the Lord, I will repay. Just let the Lord do that. Why wouldn't we just say, Lord, I'm sure you'll take care of this for me. And, the, and when it all comes out in the wash and when I'm in heaven, I'll never be sad that I forgave that person. If I, if I live a life of bitterness because that person keeps sinning against me and I, I'm unwilling to forgive them, I'm the one who loses. The person who sinned against me over and over again, they go off not even thinking about it. Um, bitterness is the wrong answer to someone who keeps sinning against you. Um, this is an important thing. How do we know if somebody's truly repentant? Only the Lord really knows that. Uh, remember King Saul, when he uh, was caught by David in the cave and David had the robe snippings and, and Saul said, oh, I, I'm so sorry, my son. And he cried like a baby. And he said, oh, David, my son. It's like, you know, Luke and, and, and Darth Vader, I am your father. You know, go long, Luke. You know, it was like this father-son moment. You know what I mean? Um, but, but in the same way, you know, Saul's like, my son, David, I'm so sorry. And then 10 minutes later, he's hunting him down like a dog again, wanting to kill him. David, on the other hand, who killed Uriah, had adultery with Bathsheba when he was caught red-handed by, uh, you know, the, the, the prophet Nathan. Nathan said, you are the man who did these things. And David's, here's what David did. He said, I have sinned against the Lord this day. That's all he said. No weeping, no, I'm sorry. He didn't do that. He said, I have sinned against the Lord. Well, what about Uriah the Hittite? Shouldn't you say I have sinned against Uriah and Bathsheba and others involved in the story? He didn't say that. He just said, I have sinned against the Lord this day. And, And here's what Nathan the prophet said. And the Lord knows this and he forgives you. Like that was obviously because of the prophet speaking the word of the Lord. He said, David, you are forgiven. And and David would later write, blessed is he whose sins are forgiven. We know that David, that was repentance, even though it didn't, there was no weeping uh, or, you know, uh, whining or any of that. It was just a very calm. So who knows what repentance looks like? And so I've learned more and more as years go by, I just, I just, I'm not even gonna really try for the most part, uh, unless somebody's asking me to help them to, am I really repentant? Uh, we'll talk about it, but I, I really don't know. I think uh, the Lord is the one who knows what true repentance looks like. It's not our job to decide if they're repentant. It's our job to forgive. That's, that's what the Lord says here. Um, unforgiveness is one of the um, largest problems, perhaps, in the human soul or the human psyche, as the world would call it. Um, you know, uh, it's interesting, Matthew 18, 21 through 22 uh, puts it this way. Then came Peter to him and said, Lord, how oft shall I, uh, my brother sin against me and I forgive him till seven times? And remember, this is where Peter thought he was being magnanimous. Seven times, Lord? And Jesus just said here, seven times in one day. But, uh, but how often? And Jesus said to him, I say not unto thee until seven times, but until 70 times seven. Oh, okay, so 490 times, let's see, carry the one, yeah. Um, uh, Are we supposed to do the math? Is that the point? Um, No, the idea is uh, just to stop taking record is the idea. It reminds me of 1 Corinthians 13.5. Love does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not 
easily angered, and it keeps no record of wrongs. That's what love truly does. It keeps no, are you in, in a married situation where you're keeping a record of wrong uh, and you're saving it up so you can you know, use it at the right moment or to use it against because you know, your husband or your wife has done that once before or tw twice before? Or should I go crazy and say seven times in one day? Because um, that's what Jesus said. I, I know it sounds like I'm being mean here, but this is what Jesus said. So I'm just, I'm uh, leaning on Jesus on this one. Uh, that's always a good way to go. Um, you know, um, th this, is, uh, this is where I think, you know, you, you, you might feel like a dupe. That's the problem with this. If you're the one just saying, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forgive, I'm gonna forgive, you start feeling a little stupid. You might be tempted to think, you know, they're, they're mistaking my Christian kindness for stupidity. Um, and I don't think we should be stupid as Christians, um, but I do think we should be forgiving as Christians. Um, you know, uh, Jesus taught us in Matthew 10, 16, behold, I send you uh, forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Um, be ye therefore wise as serpents, but what? Harmless or innocent as doves is, is what the scripture says, says there. So um, wise as serpents, yes, but harmless as doves. And that's, uh, that's the idea of forgiveness. It was psychiatrist, Dr. Carl Menninger. He made this interesting declaration quite a few years ago. He once said that if he could convince the patients in his psychiatric hospitals that, um, that their sins were forgiven, 75% of them would walk out the next day. That, that's what his, he, he was not a, not a guy who was necessarily defending the Bible or, or forgiving people, but he recognized that unforgiveness drove people crazy. That's what his, his findings were. So as believers, un, if we have unforgiveness in our hearts, we are really misrepresenting the Lord and not doing what Jesus has taught us to do. Um, why should I forgive them, Brett? Um, Jesus told you to. But don't forget how much you've been forgiven. This is what will help make it easier for you. Remember what a jerk you are, how horrible you've been and all the evil things you've thought and said. And, and guess what? The Lord loves you and has forgiven you. Um, I think that's what Paul was doing when he said there in Ephesians 4, 32, be ye kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God for Christ's sake has forgiven you. Now you might be saying, Brad, great, okay, can we move on? I just don't want to talk more anymore about forgiveness. <laughs> I like being better. Uh, um, you see, you know, the reason this is tough for some is it's a tall order, I know. And some of you, are, you probably have questions. Well, Pastor, my situation is unique, you know, and, and my husband's doing this. I understand, and I'm not gonna just say blanket everything that I just said, but, but I'm gonna say the struggle in your heart probably is resisting forgiveness. Um, and I'm not, I'm not gonna say that you shouldn't change certain things or things in your marriage don't need to be worked out and fixed. I'm not gonna say those things. I'm just saying the, the answer always is right though if you're, if you're saying, I'm gonna choose to forgive. Well, what if they're not even sorry? Forgive. What if they keep doing it over and over? Forgive. It's, it's about your heart and your attitude that the Lord wants you to have. Now, you might say, um, this feels like a tall order, Pastor Brett. Well, that's exactly what the disciples felt. Let's keep reading verse five. And the, <laughs> this, this is a great response. Verse five, and the apostles said unto the Lord, increase our faith. <laughs> Why would they say that? Why in the world would they say that? Because of what he just said. Because of all the hard stuff I just said, 
The same thing I would say when I think I have to forgive everybody all the time, even if they do it seven times in one day, oh Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said in verse six, if you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say unto this sycamine tree, be thou plucked up by the roots and be planted in the sea and it should obey you. Now this is common. You might recognize this mustard seed stuff in Matthew 17, 20 and some other places. Um, you'll see in your mar marginal reference there. Um, but the grain of a mustard seed, uh, this is a mustard seed of, from the Middle East right there. Um, not too large, wouldn't you say? Uh, you're saying, Brett, that's about the size of a beach ball on that screen up there. Yeah, but um, that's the finger of God holding that. No, I'm just kidding. No. <laughs> No, a mustard seed is just a little tiny speck. That's the point. Jesus is saying just a little speck, even if you have a speck of faith. That's the idea. Um, I, love, I love that he uh, makes this uh, comparison. If you had faith as a grain of mustard seed, you might say to a sycamore tree, you know, be plucked up by the roots, be thou planted in the sea, and it should obey you. Now, um, it's not about how big or how much faith you have. It's, I think, more of a quality of faith that Jesus is speaking of. Um, you know, um, now this is where we have to be really careful because people have taken this concept, you know, of the mustard seed and faith and stuff like that and speaking to the sycamore tree and stuff. And the whole movement came out of this, the word of faith movement. Um, and, you know, um, I call it name it and claim it or blab it and grab it or squeal it and steal it. Like whatever Christians were doing, maybe if you were around in the 80s, uh, when you saw televangelists, it was a big thing. Just, just speak it out, you know, and tell God what you want. And, you know, and it was, it was a really wrong teaching in a wrong direction. Um, so we have to be careful on that side of things. Uh, and, and don't get me wrong on that. I, that was wacko, totally wacko. However, is there power in life in the tongue? Yeah, you know, Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue. Like, it's amazing how what we speak. So I'm not, I'm not um, saying all you gotta do is name it and claim it, blab and grab it and stuff like that. Um, that's a wrong interpretation of scripture, but there is some truth here about expressing by faith, speaking it out. And Jesus is making the point that if you have faith, right-hearted faith, and you, if you speak it out, um, you know, uh, then the Lord says, you, you, you'll see mountains uh, be moved. This, this is an interesting thing. Now, um, one of the things that word of faith movement, I think, missed is they missed the word part. Not just the words we say, but the word of God. What, what I'd like to encourage people, if you, wanna, if you wanna speak out words of power, um, you wanna know the safest thing to say is the word of God. Like speak the scriptures. Don't say, I, I, I'm speaking out Ferrari, Lord. Um, that's first bag of Balonians right there. <laughs> Ferrari, I said it, Lord Jarrett, Ferrari. Uh, but no, uh, that's dumb. But to, to speak out the word of God, like let's say you're going through a rough time. What's a good promise of the word? Um, oh, I love it. You know, and we know Romans 8, 28, that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them that are called according to his purpose. I just spoke out the word. I didn't you know, do word faith, but I did speak out the word of God and realized, man, when I'm going through a tough time, I have to just speak it out. Lord, you know what's going on. All things are working together for good. I'm speaking truth there, but it's not my truth. That's, that's stupid humanity today. I like to speak my truth, um, but that's often your lies is what it is. 
But when you're speaking the word of God, you are speaking the truth. Maybe you're in financial trouble. I love you know Philippians 4.19, but my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches in glory. I just spoke the word and that's powerful. Not because it's my word, but it's because it's his word. And that's where the power lies. Um, are you depressed? Oh, there's so many scriptures that you should speak if you're depressed. I think there's power of life and death in the tongue. Nehemiah 8.10, for the joy of the Lord is your strength. You can remind yourself of that. Or Isaiah 26.3, thou will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed upon thee. You're speaking you know, in faith, even if it's size of a grain of mustard, it's not the quantity, it's the quality. Say, I believe in the word of the, of the word of living God, not the word of Brett. Uh, not for self-centered reasons, but for biblical godly reason, reasons. So um, um, here is where, by the way, the word of faith thing breaks down. We see it in, as we read on in verse seven, uh, it says, but... Which of you, having a servant plowing or feeding cattle, will say unto him, by and by, when he has come from the field, go and sit down to meet? And will not rather say unto him, make ready wherewith I may sup, and gird thyself and serve me till I have eaten and drunken, and then afterward thou shalt eat and drink? Doth the, uh, he thank that servant because he did the things that were commanded him? I trow not. So likewise you, when you shall have done all those things which are commanded you, say, we are unprofitable servants, but we have done that which was our duty to do. What's this all about? The servant that comes in and makes a sandwich. Like, like what's the problem with this? Um, well, um, what servant, Jesus is saying, now again, this is, a, this is a culture in modern day, we don't know the whole servant idiom because being a servant is not cool. We like to be served. You're not the boss of me. I'm my own boss. But Jesus is appealing to something that was very common in those days. And it was an attitude that he wanted us to glean that I think is so far from our culture, we don't even know how to even interpret what we just read. Jesus is saying something they would have said, yeah, of course, a servant puts the master before his own needs. That's, that's the duty of the servant. But if the servant comes in and says, uh, sorry, master, I know you're hungry, but I'm hungry too. And I, I'm just gonna make myself a sandwich before I'm gonna make one for you. Jesus is saying, uh, that's, that's dumb. Um, but if the servant comes in and says, I've worked, but I'm gonna make a meal for the master. And then after the master's eaten, then I'll make a meal for the master. After, uh, pardon me, I'll make a meal for myself. Um, then that's the, that's, why would the master thank the servant for that? That was his duty to begin with. What's the point, Pastor Brett? Simple. You and I are the, uh, well, what's the word here? Uh, I love, the, he said, we are unprofitable servants. I've marked that in my Bible there in verse 10. That's the, that's the point. Uh, what's the unprofitable servant? Um, a servant is, is lesser than the master and we're unprofitable. And if we do what the master are, in this case, our loving savior, Jesus Christ, who is a master you and I should be willing to follow, and dutifully serve, um, why would we be looking for thanks if we do the things that's part of our duty? Um, this is where, this is why I said the word of faith movement gets shut down here because suddenly the biggest problem with the word of faith movement is, uh, is we get it backwards. Jesus is not, you know, my little genie that I ask for three wishes and say, okay, I'm just gonna speak forth God what I want and you're gonna give it to me. 
It's such a ridiculous concept of having God be your servant. Uh, and so you're just you know, rubbing the genie lamp and asking for all the things you, you want. It's, it's like a little kid finds a magical lamp, lamp and he rubs the lamp and the genie appears and says, what's your first wish? I'll give you three wishes. Um, and the kid says, I wish I were rich. And the genie says, it's done. What is your second wish, rich? <laughs> Get it? His name was changed to rich. I wish I were rich. Sorry. Anyways... God is not our little genie. He's the master and we're the servants and it's our dirt duty to serve the master. And of course, um, so if we're speaking something in faith, it should be in serving the master, not serving the servant. Uh, that's where the Ferrari part breaks down. Unless you're a unique person, the Lord's gonna use your Ferrari for ministry and souls saved. Is that possible? Maybe, probably not though. <laughs> I'm sure we can all think of ways. Oh Lord, I'll serve you faithfully uh, if I get that car or whatever. People say that kind of stuff. But speaking out in faith, but making sure it's congruent with the master and it's to serve the master. And that's kind of the idea here. Verse 11, it goes on. It says, and it came to pass as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Um, now remember, this, the Samaria uh, is that region where the Samaritans live. It was very unusual for a Jew to pass through this region. But I think that's interesting that Jesus would travel through an area all the other Jews would avoid. Um, verse 12. Uh, and as he entered into a certain village there, met him 10 men that were lepers, which stood afar off. Now they're standing afar off because that was the law. They were obeying the law by standing far off. Lepers, lepers couldn't you know, stand near uh, the crowds and what have you. That's obeying the Old Testament law. Some say these are perhaps Jews living between Samaria and where Jews would live because even a Jew that had leprosy would be an outcast among the Jews. So this is sort of maybe no man's land between Samaria, what area? Samaria. <laughs> but between Samaria and where Jews live, somewhere between there, there's this colony of lepers. That's kind of the idea that we're seeing here. So it's kind of interesting, that plays into the story. Verse 13, as they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, master, have mercy on us. And when he saw them, he said unto them, go, show yourselves unto the priests. And it came to pass that as they went, they were cleansed. Um, one of the things that we see uh, in cleansing of lepers or healing situations, is sometimes the Lord requires something of the person being healed. Sometimes the Lord just says, you're healed, and bing, they're healed. But like, remember the man with the withered hand? The Lord asked him, he said, stretch forth your hand. And the guy could have said, are you kidding me? I can't move my hand, it's locked like this. But Jesus said, no, you know, stretch forth your hand. Remember we talked about his commandments are his enablements. He'll enable you to do the things you can't do. And that's the miracle of the whole thing. And the Lord might say stuff to you that might require moving forward without knowing. Um, I see that all the time in my own life personally, before the Lord shows me that it's a miracle, um, there was a moving. Even Debbie and I moving our family from Southern Oregon to start a church in Portland was a kind of a stretch forth your hand kind of thing. Like, really? You want us to move to Portlandia and start a church? Uh, and not, we don't know anybody up there? And that was kind of a, like, it seemed kind of insane. 
But as we started stretching forth, you know, and we, you know, I started a Bible study in the summertime of 96, uh, June of 96, and uh, drove up every Thursday night, did a Bible study up on Cascade Summit at the pool house. If you, if you live up there, it was as we first Eighth Creek services with all five of us in the little pool house thing there. Uh, and for that whole summer, just taught through the book of Daniel. That was the stretching forth, seeing like, Lord, are you in this? Um, but, you know, it's amazing. The miracle happened after the small. You know, the, the church grew from five to 12 that summer. Um, by by uh, first of August, it was like 12. But by the end of the August, uh, August it was down to three. And I was like, Lord, are you really in this? Come on. Uh, like three people in my summer Bible study uh, in Portland. And the Lord said, nope, I'm in this. And I want you to move your family and start a church. So it was the first Sunday in um, September of 96, we got the, we were trying to find any school that would take us. Unfortunately, AC Creek Middle School said, oh, we'll let you do a Sunday service. And, and uh, you know, we started doing services there. And, you know, it was, it was kind of that thing is like the withered hand stretch forth. In this case, these guys were leprous and they needed to, he said, go and show yourself to the priests. And then as they went, it wasn't like, bling, they were suddenly clean of leprosy as they were walking to the priest. It took a little bit of a step of faith. We could go on and on in the Bible. Um, you know, I, I, I always wonder if Moses doubted, Lord, uh, Lord tells Moses, stick your rod over the sea. Uh, okay, and what's gonna happen? No, just do it. You gotta do that and then I'll show you what's gonna happen. I wonder if Moses was like, Lord, this will be so embarrassing if I go like this, stand back, stand still. Remember Charlton Heston? And see you know, <laughs> the glory of God. And he puts his rod over the ocean and, Crickets, <laughs> like, like what if crickets happened? That would have been embarrassing. Um, what about the priests that were carrying the Ark of the Covenant as they were walking through the Jordan River? Jordan River. Remember they had to go in and they started going in with their ankles and, and they're still going and pretty soon their knees and they get way, they're, they're like, like, it's amazing. They're gonna go way deep in the water and then the water parts, just like the Red Sea, by the way, the Jordan River at that time. Sometimes the Lord will have you take sort of a leap of faith or a step of faith. And that's what happens here. The, the, you know, go and show yourself to the priest. And as they went, I've marked that in my Bible, as they went, they were cleansed. Um, very, very cool. Um, is God giving you something to do that you're supposed to start moving? And, and you're saying, yeah, but I'm waiting for the funds or I'm waiting for the knowledge or I'm waiting for the whatever. But the Lord's saying, no, I'm waiting for you to take your first step so that then I can bless as it goes on and on. Well, uh, by the way, there's an Old Testament example of that. Would you keep your finger here and go back with, to the Old Testament to 2 Kings? Uh, 2 Kings chapter five. Um, there's, there's a great story. Uh, I think I've heard this a uh, few weeks back, but, um, but there's a part of this story that I, I think is really important uh, in this sort of thing we're talking about, this stepping of faith. Um, in 2 Kings 5, you know, the story is uh, this mighty captain of the Syrian ar army's name is Naaman. Naaman, he's a Syrian, powerful dude, controller of a huge army. Um, but he, he's a leper. He, he becomes this leper and he's gonna die of leprosy. Like it's a, it was a loathsome disease. Um, but it, it, it comes to pass where he hears of some dude down in Israel uh, that sort of has a reputation of knowing what to do and how to cleanse or heal a leper. And so the guy goes down to Israel and he goes to the house of Elisha, the prophet. Um, and, uh, and it's kind of a funny thing because um, uh, Elisha, 
he, you know, Naaman comes and knocks on the, Elisha's door. <clears throat> and Elisha says um, to, his, to his servant, hey, go tell that guy Naaman um, that he's supposed to go dip his, his body in the Jordan River seven times. Like Elisha doesn't even go to the door. Now, I personally believe this is on purpose. Um, the Lord's doing something in Naaman. And, and notice what happens here. This is really interesting. It says here, uh, let's pick it up in verse 11. It's in our story, verse 11. It says, but Naaman was wroth. Why was he wroth? You gotta remember, Naaman was used to being the boss of everybody uh, and ordering people around. So Naaman knocks on the door and just some punky servant shows up and says, yeah, Elisha, he's busy, you know, um, you know, trimming his toenails or like whatever. Like, I'm sure he's like, whatever, what, what is this little guy from Israel? What is he, who does he think he is? Not even coming to the door to talk to the great Naaman, the Syrian conqueror. Um, that's probably what's going on here. He's mad because it says, uh, it says Naaman was wroth and went away and said, behold, I thought, now this is where we all go wrong right here. <clears throat> uh, again, I've marked that in my Bible. I thought, duh, I thought, he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. This guy had a preconceived idea of a, you know, TBN healing service. You know, be healed in the name of Jesus. Like this guy had some big dramatic thing in his mind. But instead he got him, uh, <laughs> go dip yourself in that little muddy river. See, you guys think that if you haven't been to Israel, you think the mighty Jordan River, this beautiful you know, like the Willamette or the Columbia. Um, no, think Tualatin River. In fact, the Jordan River is probably dirtier than the Tualatin River. Uh, and um, it's, it's just this little creek, really. Uh, and go dip yourself in the Jordan. Uh, the, the messenger says, this guy's furious. Um, but uh, um, verse 12, he goes on his rant. He says, and are not Abana and Farpar rivers in Damascus better than the waters of Israel? may I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. Um, have you ever been treated like a servant or been dismissed? I wonder sometimes if the Lord's not trying to do something in your heart. Well, verse 13, his servants came near and spake to him um, and said, my father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldst thou not have done it? But how much rather when he said to thee, wash and be clean, so then he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God, and his flesh came again like unto the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. <laughs> what, a, what a story. This guy almost missed a miracle. Good on his servants. His servants must have cared about him enough to say, Naaman, I know you're hot under the collar here, and you're mad that you weren't treated like a great conqueror and everything, but why not just give it a whirl? Like go down to that muddy Jordan River and dip yourself. Why, what, what do you have to lose? You're gonna die. Um, and, and um, you know, so, so it's, it's kind of interesting. Um, you know, Naaman was so used to giving orders, he wasn't very good at following orders. Be careful. If you're a person of authority, whether you're a parent or an employer or a military supervisor, or like the more authority you have, the more you probably need to be careful because the Lord still wants you to be a servant, have the heart of a servant, the mind of a servant. And if you're getting used to having authority, that can get really ugly. Um, and the Bible constantly, Jesus constantly, Jesus who had the ultimate authority, demonstrated perfect servanthood the whole time. 
So what if the Lord wants you to do something? He's got great miraculous beauties, cleansing you of your sin, your, your leprosy, whatever the Lord wants to do in your life, beautiful, miraculous things. And what if it's that the Lord just wants you to read your Bible every morning? Oh, Brett, read your Bible and pray. Come on, you're a pat. Don't you we pay you more for than just telling us to read our Bibles and pray? Like, like shouldn't you have something more magical? It's, okay, you, I bet I get more people to do this. Okay, here's what you need to hike up to Mount Mount Hood and hike, hike to the to the highest tree tree ridge area where where the bald eagles are. And I want you to find a bald eagle nest. And then when you find the bald eagle egg, you need to carefully climb up and take the egg and, and raise the baby eaglet until it's ready to fly. But you can only feed it using a specific African beetle. And so the eagle has to grow up with African beetles. And then as you, as you carry it by hand and travel with this eagle, uh, you have to go off to a desert oasis. And there the eagle will find a, a, a pool of water where it'll dive down and get a fish. And it'll bring you that fish. Then I want you to open up that fish stomach and there will be a lottery ticket inside. <laughs> Some of you might be more willing to, that, to do that than read your Bible every day <laughs> because it's, it's extraordinary. Surely God wants me to do something extraordinary. That's the problem with Naaman. He thinks, oh, I, I thought he'd come out here and say, in Jesus' name, be hailed. Like some gyration, but it was the messenger, the servant of Elisha saying, you know, go dip yourself in the muddy river. Um, I wonder if, if the Lord's saying, I've got great things in store for you, but you're unwilling to do the simple little serious thing that I've asked you. Um, what are the things the Lord's asked us to do? Read your Bible. Give attendance to the reading of scripture, as the Bible tells of, its, of itself. Um, you know, pray every day to be a person of prayer. Um, like the little things the Lord wants us to commit to, I sometimes wonder if we, we miss the whole thing. Um, does it seem harder to get an answer like read your Bible and pray than to have some big instructions? Well, back to our story, back to Luke 17. So as the lepers obeyed, just simply started walking. They, had, they were responsible to turn around and start walking. As they went, they were cleansed. Pretty cool. But verse 15, as one of them, uh, when he saw that he was uh, healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God. Um, this is interesting. Why only one of the 10? Well, verse 16, and, and, it, uh, and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. I wonder if the other guys were Jews. I mean, I, I think that this guy was the Samaritan and the others were Jews. Maybe the Jews knew more about going to see the priest and getting the, the declaration of being cleansed of the leper. But one thing that, um, that is interesting, in the Bible, whenever a leper was healed or cleansed, the word is always cleansed. And, and it's interesting because leprosy was a filthy, dirty, loathsome disease. But it, instead of calling it healing, they called it cleansing, the cleansing of the leper. Except for right here. This is the only place in the Bible where a leper was, was healed, it says here. One of them, when he saw that he was healed, turned back with a loud voice and glorified God. He was the Samaritan. Uh, this is kind of an interesting thing. Why was this guy healed? Um, at least one in 10 of the guys was Samaritan. The others were possibly Jews um, practicing the old law to show the priests their skin is, is, you know, is healed. Um, but what's interesting, Samaritans and Jews were usually enemies. Um, like I said before, 
But isn't it interesting how sometimes common hardships like leprosy brings people together? Uh, there are probably Jews and Samaritans together in this leper colony, and they're all hanging out together. Reminds me of Malachi chapter three, verse 16, when they, fear, they that feared the Lord spake often one to another, and the Lord hearkened and heard it. And a book of remembrance was written before him uh, for them that feared the Lord and that thought upon his name. It seems that Malachi is saying there's a book of remembrance for those who take time to stop and think, wow, look what the Lord has done. This one Samaritan um, takes time to turn, turn around and glorify Jesus. Um, and I believe there's, there's a book of remembrance that's, that some of you, I wonder if some of you don't really remember the good things the Lord has done. What has the Lord done for me lately? And because you haven't written it down or taken time to thank the Lord for all the glorious things he's done for you, I wonder if you go through life thinking God hasn't done anything for you. That's human nature. But the Lord says, but those who remember the things I've done, I have a book of remembrance of those that take time. Like this one in 10 who goes back and thanks the Lord for healing or cleansing him. Um, I wonder, the book of remembrance, some of you, when you get to heaven, are you gonna have a big book of remembrance of all the times you were thankful? Others are gonna have a little trifold pamphlet. It's like all, all, your whole life. I, I thank the Lord a couple times. Uh, my mom made me thank the Lord for the food and you'll get a, maybe a pamphlet. I wanna have a volume. No, I want volumes of thanks when I get to heaven. The books of remembrances. That's what uh, Malachi seems to be talking about. Well, this guy is truly thankful. And verse 17, Jesus answering said, we're not there, not 10 cleansed. But where are the nine? There are not found that return to give glory to God, save this stranger. See, that's why we think it's only the Samaritan who came back. He's called the stranger. Verse 19, and he said unto him, rise, arise, go thy way. Thy faith hath made thee whole. This guy was called three things. Cleansed by Jesus in verse 17. He was called healed in verse 15. And he was whole in verse 19. If you got cleansing, healing, and wholeness, you're good. You're good. And this guy was good to go. This is the goal for you and me. Well, verse 20, uh, and when, the, uh, when he was demanded of the Pharisees, when the kingdom of God should come, he answered them and said, the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. Neither shall, uh, neither shall they say, lo here or lo there, for behold, the kingdom of God is within you. The word within there is an important preposition. If you'd mark that word, or maybe even your margin says among you, which, which one is it? Is it within you and among you? The answer is yes. The word Jesus is using here is very mysterious. The kingdom of God to the Jew is taking over the Roman empire and making the Jews powerful again and having their kingdom set up. But Jesus is talking about a greater kingdom, the kingdom that's not of this world. And um, the coming kingdom, Jesus taught us to pray, thy kingdom come, thy will be done. That's a coming kingdom that's gonna happen literally. But as it turns out, when Jesus says the kingdom of God is within you, um, what is that all about? It's, it's actually pretty simple. Jesus is the king of the kingdom. When you have a king, you have a kingdom. When you have Christ in you as a believer, when you're saved, then suddenly the kingdom of God is within you and among you. Um, it's not that you're the king, you have the king in you. Christ in you, which is your hope of glory. This is the mysterious language Jesus is using talking about his kingdom. And they don't understand the first coming or the second coming sort of principle um, of, of the Bible. The ESV uh, translation in verse 21 there says, for behold, the kingdom of God is in the midst of you, which is the uh, same thing. 
Um, so uh, right then the kingdom is in front of them because the king is there, Jesus is there. Verse 22, and it says, and he said to the disciples, the days will come when you shall desire to see one of the days of the son of man and you shall not see it. And they shall say to you, see here or see there, go not after them nor follow them. For as the lightning that uh, lighteth out of the one part under heaven, shineth unto the other part uh, under heaven, so shall the son of man be in his day. Jesus is talking about now his second coming. It's gonna be like lightning after the tribulation, Christ, the second coming, the ultimate kingdom. His first coming was quiet, Bethlehem. His second coming will be like lightning blowing across the sky. Um, here in Oregon, if you've never traveled much, um, we don't even know what lightning and thunder is here in Oregon. If you've, if you've ever traveled in other places, I've been in some places in the world, um, Burkina Faso, Africa. Um, I was in quite a lightning thunderstorm. Joey and I were in that one together. That was, uh, it was quite a deal. Um, my family, we were down in New Orleans once uh, and we were uh, getting a tour of the, the, um, the Saints football uh, practice facility because uh, we had a friend down there who was doing that, and also the basketball, uh, the pro pro teams got to see. We got out of our car and we we um, we had the lightning just on top of our heads and the thunder all in one big sound. And I, I'm not sure what happened. Fortunately, we survived, but it seemed like the lightning struck like three feet away from us, and we were all just like, ah! it, it, you know, our hair was standing up. You know, it was like it was it was crazy, but. Um, but if you've ever seen like real lightning and thunder in Vanuatu, where in the South Pacific, where Tad and Marna have been for the last couple months, are, and they've, they've lived there for a lot of their lives. Um, when I was there once, you can hear the lightning and thunder coming off the ocean and it slowly comes and it gets louder and louder and louder and louder. And then it's just on top of your head and it's, you, know, you just think you're all gonna die. And then it goes off in the island. Like it's a little island. So the lightning and thunder just, it's just, it's very different than Oregon with all of our mountains and stuff. But when you see a, a bolt of lightning shooting across the sky, let that be a reminder. That's gonna be like the second coming of Christ. It's a, it's a dramatic event. There won't be any mistaking uh, when the second coming of Jesus is coming. People will realize he's the Messiah. Verse 25, but, um, wow, we're almost out. We're out of time. Let's, let's hurry here. Verse 25, but the first must, must he suffer many things, his first coming and be rejected of this generation. See, they didn't understand anything about this, the first coming and second coming. He's, he's explaining it to them. Verse 26, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be in the days of the Son of Man. They did eat and they drank and they married wives and were given in marriage until the day that Noah entered into the ark, the flood came and destroyed them all. Likewise, also, as it was in the days of Lot, they did eat, they drank, they bought, they sold, they planted, they builded. But the same day that Lot went out of Sodom, it rained fire and brimstone from heaven and destroyed them all. Even thus shall it be in the day when the Son of Man is revealed. In that day, he uh, which shall be upon the housetop and his stuff in the house, let him not come down to take it away. And he that is in the field, let him likewise not return back. Remember Lot's wife. Do you remember Lot's wife? She looked back and she became a salt shaker there, you know, pillar of salt uh, there in the desert. Um, um, I was scuba diving down in... Uh, in um, it was actually technically the Sinai Peninsula down in Egypt. And uh, we took a boat down there and we got to dive in this place called uh, Lot's Wife, uh, where there's right on this, you know, about 50 feet deep, there's this big pillar of whatever. It looks like a big salt formation. Uh, they call it Lot's Wife there, but I'm pretty sure that wasn't her. Um, <laughs> wrong location. 
But uh, all that to say, uh, you know, she was the one who longingly looked back to the good old Sodom and Gomorrah. She, she really hadn't disconnected. And this is what Jesus is saying. You got to be ready to leave. Don't, you know, don't be so loving into this world like I love this world so much that you're uh, not looking for the coming of Christ. Very important. By the way, um, the rapture of the church is something that uh, is seen in both the story of Noah and the flood mentioned here and Lot. Um, the Jews have to go through the tribulation, uh, I believe, because they're unbelieving right now. But the church uh, is pictured in the story of the flood in not Genesis 6, the flood, but Genesis 5, where Enoch was taken out before the flood came. I think it's a picture of the rapture of the church. Lot was taken out. You say, no, he walked out. No, he was taken out. If you read the story carefully, it says, you know, Lot was told by the angel, get out of Sodom. And while he lingered there, the angel picked him up by his hand and pulled him out of the city. Uh, that's what the rapture of the church is gonna be like. Now, because I mentioned that, you're gonna be tempted to think the next part is about the rapture as we finish this up, verse 33. Whosoever shall seek to save his life shall lose it, and whosoever shall lose his life shall preserve it. We talked about this recently, uh, part of our, the way you're to live your life. Uh, Jesus makes this comment many times. Verse 34, I tell you that uh, in that night, there shall be two men, one in bed, the other shall be taken and the other shall be left. Really quick, the homosexual community loves to say, see, here's homosexual couple in bed. Um, that's ridiculous. If you'll notice um, the word men is not, it's in italics. It's not in the original language. So it says there were two people in bed. So you can't assume they were men. Uh, the translators, the King James translators didn't think everybody would think that was gay relationship back in 1611. Um, but uh, they were trying to be helpful with that, but it wasn't. Um, but uh, also with two women, verse 35, two women shall be grinding together. One shall be taken and the other left. Uh, for those of you that are not living in Portland, you understand this, but for Portland, these are women grinding at the meal with a uh, stone, uh, like the picture I showed you from, uh, just, just really important that you know that. Verse 36, two men shall be taken in the field, one shall be, uh, two men shall be in the field, one shall be taken and the other um, left. And they answered and said unto him, where Lord? <laughs> and he said unto them, wheresoever the body is, Thither will the eagles be gathered together. Or the word eagle there, better translation is vultures. Okay, that's important. You're like, bro, what in the world is this talking about? Well, um, sadly, a lot of people have, have taken it. Um, uh, and I can see why, that they're thinking this is the rapture of the church. Um, but Christ, if we do a careful reading, Christ is speaking of, of being these people taken in judgment. That's why the whole vulture thing at the end. Christ speaks of the coming of the Son of Man, like the days of Noah, like Lot. In both illustrations, it was the wicked one who was taken in judgment. So Luke 17, 27 here says, the flood came and destroyed them all. Luke 17, 28 through 29 says, it was the same um, as had happened in the days of Lot and it destroyed them all. That's kind of an emphasis. So it gives three illustrations of separation of believers and unbelievers. So this is probably not the rapture. I'm a believer in the rapture of the church. Uh, if, you, if you've been here for 10 seconds, you know that I am a huge proponent of the rapture of the church. It'd be tempting to say, yeah, this is the rapture of the church, but I, I don't, I'm not really convinced of that. I think this is more of the idea of um, taken in judgment is the idea here. Well, um, all that to say, Luke chapter 17, it's a lot of heavy topics, but important stuff. And man, we're out of time. Let's pray. 
Lord, we do thank you for your word once again. I pray that we would look forward to that second coming, but even more, we anticipate the rapture of the church. Give us, Lord, the hope, the future that we have with you. Um, I pray that we look forward to that. But we also see the world that's gonna be judged, and I pray you give us a compassion, help us to, to be uh, all about preaching the good news of the gospel. Um, maybe, Lord, tonight some people need to deal with for unforgiving spirits, hearts to be unforgiving. And I pray that you just chip away at that hard-heartedness. Teach us what it means to be forgiving. Help us to forgive um, others as you have forgiven us. So bless these, your people who've taken a Wednesday night and carved out this time to study scripture. May it bless them, bring good fruit in their lives, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.